This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to PowerPlay, a series which is part of The Straits Times Asian Insider podcast channel. I'm Carissa Yong, ST's US correspondent based in Washington. And I'm Danson Chong, ST's China correspondent based in Beijing. Every month, the both of us will look at various facets of the US-China rivalry and their implications for Asia. This episode, we're going to look at the impact of US House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan in early August. She went ahead with a trip despite warnings from Beijing not to, becoming the highest-ranking US politician to have visited Taiwan in 25 years. While there, she had several high-profile meetings, including with Taiwan President Tsai Ing-wen, Mrs. Pelosi's whirlwind trip lasted less than 24 hours, but in the aftermath of a trip, US-China relations have become more tense than ever, and Taiwan is at the center of their role. Danson, could you lay out for us how Beijing reacted to her visit? Well, as you can expect, uh, you know, China got really angry, and uh, I think it reacted in two main ways. I think we can look at how it reacted toward Taiwan and toward the US. Um, So, you know, the mainland conducted uh, military drills around the island of Taiwan for you know, just about a week. Um, and those drills, you know, involved aircraft and warships uh, repeatedly crossing what we call the, the median line of the Taiwan Strait. And for the first time in history, you know, it fired ballistic missiles directly over the main island of Taiwan. And, you know, analysts say that these drills are meant to simulate a blockade and invasion of the island. Uh, you know, there are also economic sanctions uh, on Taiwan, the banning of certain food products and exports of Chinese sand to to Taiwan. Um, but by and large, you know, the, the economic sanctions are quite limited. I, I think the more significant thing here is that um, China has said that, you know, what it calls combat readiness patrols, uh, you know, or some of these more provocative drills will become more regular in the future. And then, you know, there was the reaction toward the U.S. And here you had China suspending or cancelling a whole range of talks and cooperation to the U.S. You know, on, on uh, various military level talks were cancelled and, you know, um, discussions on issues, including climate change, were also suspended. So what does this tell us? I think there's several reasons why Beijing reacted the way it did. I think the first is that um, we're just about two months or so away from a very important uh, party congress in Beijing where Chinese President Xi Jinping is expected to seek another term in power. So, you know, it's a time where he cannot afford to look weak. And, you know, Xi Jinping's whole claim to legitimacy is that under him, you know, China has become strong. So he has to, you know, demonstrate strength. And I think the other reason is that China is becoming quite convinced that America's one-China policy is changing or shifting or, you know, being hollowed down. You know, for example, US President Joe Biden has said, I think three times, that the US will defend Taiwan in in the event uh, of an invasion. And although, you know, administration officials have been sort of quick to correct this position, you have to look at this in context of, you know, continued arms sales to Taiwan. And, you know, uh, I think Mrs. Pelosi's visit is just uh, one of several congressional delegations that have visited the island. So, you know, to the Chinese, uh, is this is just another example of how the US has been tacitly supporting Taiwan independence, how it's trying to change this uh, status quo. So I think the drills were also really meant to intimidate. It does seem like both sides are talking past each other. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, you know, like you said, Beijing says that the US is changing the status quo, 
But, you know, over in the US, the argument is that Beijing is the one that it's changing the status quo with its incursions into Taiwan's ADIZ, you know, air defense identification zone, and also Beijing's increasing assertiveness. So Washington also argued that Beijing was changing the status quo with what it called an unnecessarily harsh response to Pelosi's visit, you know, especially when Beijing said, like you mentioned, that it would conduct regular patrols near Taiwan in the future. And, you know, like, even though you said that, you know, Pelosi's visit to the Chinese is an example of the U.S. supporting Taiwan independence, but in the lead up to her trip, she and White House officials were quite adamant that the U.S. stance on Taiwan had not changed. And they did say repeatedly that they did not support Taiwan independence and that nothing had changed about America's one China policy. And during and after the trip, U.S. officials said that there was no need for China to escalate the situation. And National Security Council spokesman John Kirby, for example, said that there was no need for Beijing to turn the visit into some sort of crisis or use it, also he said, as a pretext to increase aggressive military activity around Taiwan. <laughs> Except that's exactly what um, Beijing did. You, you know, from its perspective, he doesn't want to never waste a good crisis, right? You know, <laughs> as they say. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, the scale and the coordination of the military response from China it sort of indicates that they have been in the works for a while. So if it was not Pelosi's visit, then I think some other crisis would have drawn the same response. Yeah, I think, you know, as we talked about earlier, uh, the mainland has said it would you know, normalize or what it calls war readiness patrols. So drills that are, I think are meant to establish a kind of new normal in the Taiwan Strait, where, you know, crossings of uh, the median line uh, becomes uh, quite normalized. This median line is is um, the so-called unofficial boundary in the Taiwan Strait that you know China has sort of largely accepted. So in the past, you know its drills and exercises have, for the most part, been held on its side of the Taiwan Strait. And you know this time we've seen Chinese media saying that this median line is rubbish and that their drills show that it doesn't exist. So, you know, I think it, it just creates a situation uh, where Taiwan forces and, and the forces from the mainland are operating in closer and closer proximity and risk of accidental conflict can increase. Um, but Chris, you know, I'm also quite curious, you know, as to how Pelosi's visit has affected the U.S.'s calculations of China in a possible face-off over Taiwan. You know, it does look to me that the military drills have hardened the resolve in the U.S. to defend Taiwan, or at the very least, you know, more swiftly and seriously arm it for its own self-defense. So we saw multiple U.S. lawmakers releasing statements declaring that they stood with the people of Taiwan and their right to self-determination. And I guess I'd say that the U.S. read China's blockade drill as an example of the PLA demonstrating that it is plausibly able to conduct a complex military offensive against Taiwan, as well as, you know, psychological warfare against the people of Taiwan. You know, some U.S. observers said that this was Beijing showing that it had the ability to punish Taiwan and that the U.S. cannot do anything about it. And in light of all of this, there have been calls for Washington to do more to show up Taiwan's defense capabilities in light of this show of force by China. And also, you know, in some quarters, China's reaction has prompted a sense of urgency and maybe even anxiety, even though some other foreign policy analysts have said that the U.S. should be steady, it should be measured in its response instead of being kanjong, for the lack of a better word. Mm. On the other hand, you know, we've also seen how China's position on Taiwan has become more strident. The government recently released this white paper after Pelosi's visit. And, uh, you know, they, they, they regularly, you know, release these documents to, to sort of lay out their position on various issues. 
And you know, this was the third white paper on Taiwan that China has released. And the last one was in the year 2000. So the one thing I'll highlight from this latest one is that you, you can see that the amount of autonomy that Beijing is prepared to offer Taiwan in the event of reunification is much, much uh, lesser. You know, the last two white papers, for example, had the promise that the mainland would not send troops or administrative officials uh, to Taiwan in the event of Taiwan being reunified. You know, but this promise is absent in the latest document. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Then, Krista, you know, there's, there's one explanation that I think China has been quite unconvinced by. Um, you know, the U.S. keeps talking about the separation of powers, right? And how, uh, you know, the president has no say over what the speaker can or cannot do. I think to Beijing, that cuts no ice. You know, I think it just doesn't make sense to them. Yeah, I can see how that's quite foreign to Beijing. And, you know, that's one of the quirks of the U.S. political system that is fundamentally different from China's. You know, Biden, he may be in the same party as Pelosi, but he doesn't have as tight control over his party as he does. And Congress and the presidency are co-equal branches of government in the U.S. So, you know, in the lead up to the visit, even though the Biden administration warned Pelosi of the risks and the likely consequences of going ahead with the visit, you know, officials still stressed that she was free to make her own choice. And she did. And one of the arguments the U.S. has been making is that it's not unusual for congressional delegations to visit Taiwan. So they say that, you know, it's Beijing that's making a big fuss about this. And from the U.S. point of view, I think um, one of the more interesting things to emerge from this episode is just how bipartisan support for Taiwan is in Congress. You know, within an hour of Pelosi landing in Taipei, you had a statement from 26 Republican senators, 26 in support of her visit. And that is incredibly rare in Washington. And at the weekly Republican leadership press conference that week, one of the senators, I think it was Missouri Senator Roy Blunt, he joked about how he had never before said forwards. Speaker Pelosi was right. But he was using them now about her decision to visit Taiwan. And he also said that there would be more lawmakers following her example. And as we can see from this week's bipartisan Codell, congressional delegation visit, he was right. But Denson, what damage do you think the trip has done to U.S.-China relations? I mean, uh, if you just look at how China has responded um, to the U.S., I think the cancellation of military talks has come in a very bad time. You know, tensions are running very high, and I think it's a time where both militaries should be communicating more and not less. And you know, the other areas of cooperation, you know, that have been sort of suspended. Climate change, transnational crime, drug control. I think this, these, uh, you know, used to be some of the few areas where both powers could come together and talk. Um, and particularly on climate change. I mean, now you have a situation where the world's two largest polluters are not talking anymore on what essentially is a, an existential problem for the planet. And, you know, I think the damage is very, very serious, not just for US China relations, but I think for all of us. Yeah, U.S. observers have also been saying that the visit has resulted in deeper distrust and more acrimony between the two sides. One analyst, Bonnie Glazier of the German Marshall Fund think tank, said that there's some dialogue taking place, but it's not quite problem-solving or even problem-managing. It's really just the two sides exchanging lists and reciting talking points at each other primarily. And, you know, earlier I mentioned that China's military drills were hardening Washington's resolve to support Taiwan. I think that, you know, like you said, with both sides digging in, that deep-rooted distrust between the US and China is likely to become even more intractable, and that will be harder for the rest of the world to deal with. I know it all seems like all doom and gloom, but I think a very small silver lining is that 
political communication still seems to be going on. We had Kurt Campbell recently confirmed that there are still discussions ongoing about a possible meeting between Biden and Xi um, later this year. And, you know, so I think this tells me that both sides are kind of cognizant of the fact that they can't let, uh, you know, this, this kind of downturn in relations spiral out of control. Yeah, there was actually a report from the Wall Street Journal about the call that C and Biden made ahead of Pelosi's visit. And, you know, he said, according to this report, C said that Beijing had no intention of going to war. And also, if you look closely, the White House has been trying to urge caution and calm. And it is aware of when U.S. moves or laws or visits will be seen by Beijing as being provocative. So the Biden administration wasn't really keen on Pelosi's visit, and there are reports that it's been pushing back on a bipartisan bill in Congress called the Taiwan Policy Act. And this act would overhaul U.S.-Taiwan relations. So it doesn't look like the White House wants to raise the temperature on Taiwan, even if Congress doesn't mind that. Thanks, Chris. I think, you know, that nicely wraps up our chat. You've been listening to Powerplay. I'm Danson Chung. And I'm Carissa Yong. Do check out our bylines in the Straits Times online. We also have links in our podcast text description below. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.